As Heather uh, gets us back into the Ten Commandments, uh, we'll now see those commands through the lens of the Gospel as we hear the Gospel uh, read for us today from Luke chapter 10. I'll begin reading in the 25th verse. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he was passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, And do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we come back to the Ten Commandments this week, we're going to examine them through the lens of this gospel text. And we'll ask, like we did last week, the questions, uh, what is God revealing to us about himself? And what is he revealing to us about us, that word apocalypse we learned last week to reveal or unveil. So in a sense, we have apocalypse part two this week. In thinking of that unveiling, I was reminded of a comedian that we like who talked about office life. This comedian talked about uh, being in that office life and hearing about, uh, well, they say and announce uh, there's a a birthday celebration for Bob in the break room. He goes on to say, well, I hate that guy. And then they say, well, there'll be chocolate cake. Well, I should at least say hello, right? That reveals not so much about uh, love for him, but our hearts, right? We should just make an appearance. We're often like that. And that same kind of revelation is coming to us in the Scriptures today. In Luke chapter 10, 
where we get what we call the Good Samaritan parable, which, by the way, interestingly enough, the word good never shows up in the text. We get this question from a lawyer. Now, don't think of a lawyer in the courtroom here. This is a a lawyer in the sense of he was an expert in the law. He knew the Talmud. He knew uh, the law of God. And don't think negatively when you hear this phrase, came to test him either. It may be that he came uh, really wanting to know an answer. And so he asked a question, a question that you and I have asked. A question uh, that we ask in different ways, but it comes across like this. What's the bare minimum that I have to do to be able to get eternal life? What do I need to do? And what's the bottom line? Now he makes some presumptions, right? One, that there's a bare minimum bar, and that two, that he has the ability to cross it. But you and I, we ask those same kind of questions. And so Jesus does what he often does, and he answers that question with a question. And this lawyer, this one who knows the law of the Lord, gives the right answer. He tells the great Shema, the the great summary of the commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Which really covers the first part of the Ten Commandments. is what we call the first table. The parts of the commands that teach us about God. And then he tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. Which covers the rest of the commandments. Jesus says, not without tongue in cheek, he says this, do this and you will live. But of course, Jesus knows when he says this, that we have an inability to do it. And so the parable comes. And notice what Jesus reveals in this parable is less about a morality tale for how we should live and more about what we're not doing or unable to do. And I've got this book downstairs yet still. I've used it in years past with youth on melodramas, right? And it takes biblical texts and you read them out loud as if it was a melodrama. And if we were doing a melodrama of this parable today, and it got to the point of the parable where the Levite showed up, if you were doing your part as the audience, you'd cheer. Woohoo! Right? Levite. And then when the priest came, uh, you'd cheer again. Woohoo! Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do this. But then, as the Samaritan shows up, if you were doing your part, we'd all boo. Boo. Right? And what we discover is the ones who should be the neighbor, the ones, the heroes, aren't looking much like heroes. And there are some key words in this text. Like the line, maybe you were thinking of Princess Bride when he talked about the half-dead guy on the road, right? 
mostly dead, right? It's actually a key term in Greek here because it's letting us know, you see, if he had been fully dead, then he would have been unclean. And the Levite and the priest would have been able to, unable to help him. And it's an important context because we find out from historians, and those hearing this story for the first time would have known this, that the road to Jericho, to Jerusalem, was an important path because it was known that the Levites and the priests lived in Jericho. And when it was time for their duty to go to the temple in their period of time that they were serving the temple, they would travel from their home to Jericho to Jerusalem. So those Levites and those priests would not want to be unclean before doing their temple duty. It all makes sense, except Jesus says he was only half dead. Which means, guess what? They could have helped. But who helps? The evil heretic, no good Samaritan. And the Jews at the time would have some pretty nasty words for their cousins, the Samaritans. Now, if we place ourselves in this story, we always, you know, of course we're going to put ourselves as Samaritan. I'm the Samaritan, right? Uh, we, we like to do that. But really, more likely, you and I are like that Levite or the priest or really, like the half-dead guy on the road in need of saving. So as you come to this text this week, who is the Samaritan? The rejected, the despised, becomes incarnate. The rejected, the despised, cares and pays from his own resources. What we leave incomplete, he completes and finishes and pays in full. Only Jesus can do this. What the law reveals is our incompleteness. But the gospel in Christ Jesus finishes. You see, this parable not only shows us God's reign of mercy and grace to be lived out, it shows us that to be sure, but it also shows us who is holding the reins of that gift. Now, we like that lawyer, we want to know what the bare minimum is. What do we need to do? And we, like the Jews probably hearing that story, don't like to admit that it's the offensive one that does the saving. It's offensive to us that we get the answer that we don't want to hear. That we fall short. That we can't step over the bar. That only the Gospel, only Jesus finishes the promise. And so with that lens, let's take that now to this, these descriptions of loving your neighbor and these next commandments. Let's ask again, what is God revealing to us about Himself and about us? And as we quickly now go through these commands, keep in mind that we could spend a lot more time on each one. 
I've regularly spent 10 weeks, an hour on each command. We're going to spend about 30 seconds. But in the fourth command, it does reveal to us about God and ourselves. That honor your father and your mother. That verb honor in Hebrew literally means weighty, heavy, serious. It comes with a promise. And so this weighty, heavy, serious thing is the opposite of a curse. It's a promise. It's a promise that your days might be long in the land. And as one scholar put it, it's not about length in terms of how many birthday candles are on your cake, but are you living a God-soaked life in His kingdom? And if we're honoring our mother and father, like we just learned about honoring God in those first few commands, which in many ways is a bridge between uh, the two sections of the law, we discover that we are called to be God-soaked in His kingdom. And it begins by honoring mother and father in this important state of parenting. And notice that there's no age limit here, by the way. It's not just for children to obey. It's for honoring parents, whatever age we or they may be. Now I know you might be asking this question, and if we had more time we could dive into it more deeply. But what if... What if the mother or the father aren't worthy of honor? Aren't worthy of great worth as this word honor implies? It does not mean, since we have this command to honor our parents, to honor our father and mother, that uh, that negates the earlier commands to only have one God, to honor the Sabbath, or in particular to not take the Lord's name in vain. If they are taking the Lord's name in vain in the way that they're living out the estate of parenting, uh, that is still a call put upon them. But nor does it negate our call to still remember this command. We can in remembering the fullness of God's commands, also remember to honor mother and father because we honor the estate and what God intends through it. A God-soaked life in His kingdom. And so we can honor that estate even if the human individual did not. Let's go to the fifth command, the do not murder. In Hebrew, that word for murder is rosah. Sometimes we interpret that word incorrectly when we translate it as kill. It literally means to do not murder or commit manslaughter. And this is one of those commands that we are really happy to say, at least I can check that one off, until you listen to Jesus, right? where He extends it, He expands it, that if you hate your brother or sister, you are guilty of this command. Oh great. I can't check it off after all. And the next command, do not commit adultery. Marriage 
fidelity, and sexual purity are about what? We find out in Ephesians 5, in particular, covenant relationship, that marriage is a living parable of God's relationship with us. And that when we break this covenant, impure before a holy God, or break this relationship covenant, not only are we, and we know the ramifications of how it harms one another and our families, but we're also dishonoring the one true God and His name because we're no longer living out the parable of God's sacrificial relational love with us. So let's just pause for a moment these first few commands in the second table of caring for our neighbor. Notice what they reveal to us about God, that He is for us. He longs for deep, significant relationship with us in all of these places. That He is seeking covenant with us and gives us human dignity and and gives us this beautiful way of life of living with one another. And that yes, when we look at ourselves, we find we fall short. As we come to the next command, do not steal. I found something interesting in uh, hearing from Hebrew scholars. Now yes, it includes don't steal my stuff, right? Uh, But there are several Hebrew scholars who contend that the initial meaning of this command harkens back to Joseph, who was stolen out of the land of Hebrews and brought into enslavement into Egypt. And these scholars contend that this stealing is more than just stuff, although it includes all of that. It's about enslavement and stealing life and freedom that God has given. And so we don't steal, once again, out of this covenant relationship of this human dignity that God has given us. And what about the next command? Bear false witness. It's not just don't lie. It elevates it to the level of a courtroom. Stands closely and near the second command and to not take the Lord's name in vain. It is truth-telling and truth-bearing as essential to be sure. Luther even puts it this way, to, and as hard as it is for us, to assume the best in bearing witness of our neighbor and not the worst. There's this covenantal relationship even there. Finally, when we get to the ninth and 10th commands about coveting, your neighbor's possession or life, when you covet, you're harming your neighbor. And where does coveting take place after all? In the heart. I often think uh, when my heart is not in the right place and I keep it to myself, uh, I, I can hide that. But my wife is quick to tell me, I can see it in your face, right? We can't hide it from God. We can't hide it from each other. 
And one commentator notes, you can see the bridge that leads to Jesus' trajectory here of internalizing these commands. It's not just what we do, but it's what's in our hearts. And so, friends, much more can be said about these ways that we are called to love our neighbor. But they reveal to us the beautiful way of life that God has given us. A beautiful way of life that must be completed or we encounter the wrath of God. A beautiful way of life that shows God's esteem for humanity. And a beautiful way of life that we just can't seem to do. And so we respond either by saying, well, since I can't do it, I should give up. Or, we become what we sometimes, those of us who lean on the grace of God, get called. Or some of us who have become this, theologians call it antinomian. That is to say, because Jesus has completed it, I don't need to worry about these ten commands anymore. These commands to love neighbor. I don't need to worry about this law. We can, friends, not dismiss it. We can't dismiss it either because we are discouraged because we can't do it. And we can't dismiss it because we're encouraged because we know Jesus has completed it. These commands point us. And theologians call it the two uses of the law. One, for a beautiful way of life. And two, knowing that we can't, that we need the gospel. We need to come to Jesus. It points us in many ways back to that verse, first command. To have no other gods. To worship nothing but the one true God. Not idols, not nothing, just one true God. And how is that introduced? By a God who's come to rescue us from slavery. To redeem us from the slavery of Egypt, the slavery of sin. And so, should I walk by the half-dead guy or not? Of course not. We are called when we abide as we learned last week, and really this is part two of one sermon. As we learned last week in John 15, that when we abide in Christ, when we're connected to Him, what is the outflow of that? It is not law. It is love. And what did Jesus call us in in that chapter in John 15 last week? He called us no longer servants, but now friends. I kind of think of it like this. The difference between hiring movers to come and help you move your home or being flooded with loved ones and friends who come and overwhelm you with kindness despite how much pizza you buy them, right? To come and help you move. God has invited us to be His friends. And we love, not out of a motivation to uh, get, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? 
But because we abide in Him, we love our neighbor and we follow these commands and we love. So these commands cannot be dismissed. They must be dealt with. But they can only be finished fully by Christ and lived out in our lives as we are abiding in Him by love. When we leave these doors today, when we slap the wall that says, go in peace and serve the Lord, if we presume that we are going to be able to do this and complete this by our own efforts and strength, we will be discouraged this next week. But if we remember that it is a God who loves us and who comes to redeem us to finish this, and abiding in Him extends love to us and to the world, then we can hear what we read when you're baptized. We hear these words of Jesus in Matthew 5.16, who He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Where do you... Your good works give glory, not to you, but to your Father in heaven. And so these ten commands reveal, to be sure, how far we fall short of love. And the depth of our failures, we're reminded, never go deeper than the deep love of God. His love is greater. That Samaritan, who, who knows, maybe that one coming back from Jerusalem had been a Levite or a priest himself, half dead. He loved the one who hated him. Who loves the ones who hated him? Jesus the Christ. For God so loved the world, the world that hated Him. Jesus who went out of His way to stop and become incarnate. For who? The very people who rejected Him. He paid the price. He finishes the bill. And now, abiding in Him as His friends, we get to share that love and glorify and not complete what we cannot, but glorify our Father who is in heaven, who has come to redeem us. Amen.